Our first lesson for this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heavens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You probably have heard that last verse before the promise of the virgin birth. But I'm guessing you're not all that familiar with the backstory. It's, it's a good one to review every, every now and then. This chapter in Isaiah, chapter 7, begins with a little context about King Ahaz. The very first line of chapter 7 reads like this. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah... And that, must not, that might not sound like much to you, but those three names, Ahaz, Jotham, and Uzziah, are, are very important names. And it's in those names that we get all the context we need, because the book of 2 Kings and the book of 2 Chronicles tells us the story of these three kings. And in fact, 2 Chronicles tells it in a whole lot of detail. Uzziah and Jotham were kind of like King David. They were sinners, no doubt. Like every other human being to ever live, they were sinful too. They were not perfect. But for the most part, they followed the ways of the Lord. They valued his word. They valued his promises. They led God's people the way that David did, following the footsteps of God. But then Ahaz comes along And he's a mess. Ahaz follows the ways of the world. Ahaz worships the gods of the nations around him. Ahaz was even known for child sacrifice. He offered one of his children as a sacrifice to a a false god. He was a wicked man. And so as a wicked man, you would not expect the Lord to deal with him the way he did. There was a threat to his kingdom. His relatives to the north, he was the king of Judah by Jerusalem, his relatives to the kingdom in the north, the kingdom of Israel, and the northeastern kingdom of Aram, those two kings were coming after him in the south. And this is what the Lord says to Ahaz. Now remember, Ahaz is wicked. Ahaz sacrificed his son to a false god. And this is what God says to him. Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Talking about the two kings to the north. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. These two enemy kings are coming for King Ahaz, wicked King Ahaz. And what does God say to him? Be careful. Don't be afraid. 
I got this, says the Lord. Like two bolts of lightning from heaven, these two promises, it will not take place, it will not happen, they will not come for you. I will protect you. That was God's promise. God says to him then, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What's God saying there? Trust my promises. Cling to me in faith. Trust my promises. If you don't, you will surely fall. Cling to me. And then God says, I'm even going to let you ask me for a sign. I know this might sound strange to you that I'm promising to protect you, even you, but I'll let you ask me for any sign you want and I'll give it to you to prove to you that I'm going to do what I say. That's incredible. What does Ahaz say? I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He thinks he's following the the way of the Lord by, by not testing God. But God just told him, ask me for a sign. He won't do it. He doesn't trust the Lord. And instead, to protect him from these two enemy kings, he goes to the most powerful nation in the world, the Assyrians, to their famous mighty king, a king by the name of Tiglath-Pileser. Try to remember that one when you go home today. Tiglath-Pileser. And he asks the mighty king of Assyria to come and protect him. He doesn't trust the Lord at all. Instead, he trusts in the power of men. And it's to him that the Lord says, your help will not come from a powerful king, but from a woman, from a virgin woman who will give birth to one of your your descendants. Believe it or not, this wicked king is an ancestor of Jesus. An ancestor of the man who would marry the virgin but not be the father of the son of God. An ancestor of Joseph who would adopt Jesus as his own son. This wicked man is an ancestor of the king the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. You live in a world full of suffering. Your heart will often not be full of Christmas joy. The question is, where will you turn? Will you turn to the strength of men? Will you turn to worldly solutions to your aching soul? Or will you trust the sure promises of God? Trust the promises of God. You're about to see them fulfilled. Gospel reading appointed for this Christmas Eve Sunday is from Luke chapter 2. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Prince George of Wales was born ten years ago. You might be thinking, what's so special about this child? He's royalty. When he was born, he was surrounded by top-tier doctors and nurses who helped ensure his safe arrival. Today, the Gospel writer Luke points us to the manger in Bethlehem where our Savior was born lowly to make us holy. Think of the situation Joseph and Mary were in. Joseph just learned that, his wife, that Mary was pregnant when the Lord told him that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And while Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, Caesar Augustus wanted a census to be taken. This meant that Joseph and all who were affected by the census had to go back to their hometowns to be recorded. So Joseph, being of David's line, went to David's city. They went to Bethlehem. While Joseph and Mary made it to Bethlehem, there was one small problem. There was no place for them to stay because of the census. It's like Packer game day. If you fail to book a hotel room in advance, you'll get there the night before and won't have anywhere to stay. Even though Joseph and Mary had no place to stay, it didn't change the fact that Mary was very pregnant. And as Luke records, the time came for the baby to be born. Imagine how Joseph felt. He must have been pretty stressed because they just made this big move. And now there's no place for them to stay, and his wife, his Mary was just about to give birth. 
They found a stable, and Luke records what happened. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. A manger? A place where cattle get their feed of grass and hay? That's where our glorious Savior and mighty King was born? Yes. Jesus was born in a lowly manger. This doesn't diminish his birth. No, this lowly manger birth illuminates the world because this is where the true light of the world was born. With Jesus' birth, what was spoken through the prophet Micah came true. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus was born exactly where he needed to be, in Bethlehem. The devil wants us to think otherwise. He wants us to doubt the power of our Savior because his birth was a lowly birth. He traps us in a corner and says to us, you've done a lot of sin. You've sinned every day in your lives. You think this lowly Savior, born in a manger, can save you from your sins? You need a greater Savior. This one right here, he's not it. Oh, that diabolical devil. I hate to admit it, but the devil's right about one thing. We have sinned greatly, and we deserve to be punished accordingly. We let him convince us that we're unforgivable and that his son can't save us. My friends, chase those thoughts away. Jesus was born in a lowly manger. This doesn't diminish the power he has. This shows the power Jesus has over sin. Jesus was born lowly in a manger to make us holy. He was the one prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. He was the one born of a virgin. He was the one whose death gave us forgiveness. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity. His punishment on the cross brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. The diabolical devil comes back around again and tries to convince us that a savior on a cross, savior born in a manger, is too lowly to save, just like a savior on a cross is too powerless to save. There's one problem with the devil's logic. It goes against the true and clear promises of God. God promised us a Savior, and Jesus is exactly the Savior we need. As we celebrate Christmas with one another, let's ponder the work Jesus did for us in his life here on earth. Let's let the joy of the Savior rule and gladden our hearts. And what a blessing it is for us to hear Jesus say to us, Your sins are forgiven. Go forth in that forgiveness. Isn't that the greatest gift ever? Merry Christmas to you all. Amen. Our third lesson comes from Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The word of the Lord. Through the sin of Adam, the whole world came under the anger and wrath of God. And that's logical. That we can wrap our minds around. That makes sense. That our trashing of God's creation, both this flesh, blood, soul, self that we are, which is completely permeated by sin, and the way that we interact with the world that God has made, it makes sense that sinful mankind would fall under the wrath and anger of God. What doesn't make sense is the kindness of God. What doesn't make sense is the love of God. What doesn't make sense is the mercy of God. What doesn't make sense is the generosity of God. What doesn't make sense is a not guilty verdict for wicked sinners like us. What doesn't make sense is an inheritance and eternal life for you and for me. What doesn't make sense is grace. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The grace of God shown to us at Christmas is so illogical. It is so beyond our ability to make sense of it that God did something else amazing. He gave us proof. He gave us proof that that which makes no sense to us is actually true. He gave us proof that the kindness and the love and the mercy and the generosity and the justification and the inheritance and the eternal life are true, are real, are ours. And that proof, that proof is baptism. The washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You're baptized once. And most of you, I'd say a vast majority of you, don't remember it. Because you were brought here when you were a baby. But when you were baptized, you were washed, you were renewed, the Holy Spirit was poured out on you. 
as water was poured over you, which wasn't just water, but water used with the command of God, connected to the word of God, this word water, that you're baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and as that word water touches you, it touches the whole you. Your physical self and your soul, like a hug of God for his little child. That in baptism, God makes promises. He says, you are my child. I don't care if it makes sense. I don't care if it feels right. You are my child, period. End of discussion. You have been robed in the righteousness of Christ who lived in your place, who suffered the death and the hell that we deserve for our sins on a cross and who rose from the dead to assure us that death is not the end. We will live forever. The grace of God makes no sense. The sooner you come to grips with that, the better. This is not a logical thing that we have. But it is true. Because our God does not just make promises. He keeps every single one And in baptism, he promises, you are his child. You have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, inheritance of heaven and eternal life there with God who took on flesh to be your savior and mine is yours. And it is mine. This Christmas, remember the proof that the kindness of God which has appeared, the love of God which has appeared, the mercy of God, the generosity of God, the not guilty verdict that is yours and mine, our inheritance, our eternal life, they are assured to us through this objective truth. You're baptized into Christ. Merry Christmas. Amen.